one of the biggest problems with workplaces is, in fact, how transactional they tend to be. When people view their effort as only having a worth in a transactional sense, in other words, I only work because I get paid for the hours that I work and I get you know, rewarded for the accomplishments that I complete in the workplace, my motivation for that work diminishes and that becomes less interesting, less meaningful, and less inspiring over time. Hi, welcome to Measures of Gratitude, a podcast about gratitude and what it means to practice it in our personal lives with friends and family and in our professional lives with our coworkers and peers. I'm Mike Lovett. I'll be your host for this series and I'll be learning what gratitude means right along with you. Now I could define gratitude vaguely, but the deeper philosophical meaning and the idea of gratitude as a company policy, not as much. I hope that's not a deal breaker for you and you're still with me. It was only when I started at WorkHuman a few months ago where gratitude is essentially the company mission that I learned what any of this was. Please don't tell my bosses, this is just between us. See, when I thought of grateful, I thought of around the table ritual of reciting what you're thankful for, friends, family, health. It's a common list, I'm sure. But when you think harder about what it means when you're grateful for something, like really think for minutes at a time, you uncover thousands of memories, conversations, and interactions. It's a culminating feeling. And I have to say, being on the other side, gratitude as a company policy, written down in everything, makes a huge difference in the experience of the people in the company. And again, I'm still learning. One of those lessons I've learned is that you do not stop learning, ever. Practicing gratitude is a journey without a destination. So strap in. And I promise this is not my word for it or work human's word for it. For this series, I sought out professors, experts, and gratitude advocates to share insights and stories of gratitude in action. They help me and hopefully thus you better understand the fundamentals of gratitude and what comprises it. They explain what's possible when you're intentional about leading with it. They dispel misconceptions and explain how you can actually change your day-to-day -day life, your relationships, your well-being, and yes, even your business with measures of gratitude. All right, for episode one, I want to get us back to square one. What is gratitude? What does it do? What is it made of? Seriously, why is it so important that we developed an entire podcast series to explore it? To do that, I needed to talk to someone who studies gratitude and the effect it has on us as people. So I turned to Dr. Emiliana Simon-Thomas, the science director at the University of California's Greater Good Science Center. I'm Emiliana Simon-Thomas, and I am the science director at UC Berkeley's Greater Good Science Center. The mission of the Greater Good Science Center is to track the latest research on well-being and to promote and catalyze science and study of well-being, emotional well-being, and then to translate the results and findings from those scientific studies into insights and practical tools that any person can incorporate into their own lives into their relationships with other people, into their workplaces, and just into the way that they think about the world around them and, and interact with one another. 
Emiliana has degrees in neuroscience and psychology. She has spoken on and written about empathy, compassion, and relationship building in the workplace. A few years ago, she gave a keynote at the Association of Donor Relations Professionals International Conference entitled, A Scientific Perspective, The Origins, Promise, and Practice of Gratitude. She's what you would call a perfect podcast guest for understanding gratitude at its root. The broadest way that researchers think about and write about gratitude is reverence for what is good in your life. It's basically like noticing, recognizing, acknowledging, and honoring that there is goodness in your life. And the reverence part of it is conveying the extent to which that goodness isn't contingent on your own effort, right? It's not something you have had to earn or work towards. Instead, it's just there, right? The warmth of sunlight on your skin when you're sitting outside in a moment of relaxation. I didn't have to work for that, right? But I can feel reverence for that. I can have that sense of appreciation for this this delight that has presented itself to me in my life. That's the most broad, wide-scoping version of gratitude. The more tangible day-to-day version of gratitude is the specific emotional experience of it, right? I gave this wonderful, highfalutin, imaginative version of feeling grateful for sunlight warmth on your skin. But normally, day-to-day, gratitude is an interpersonal experience where we recognize in a moment that something good has happened to us that has occurred because another person has put forth effort to do something that has led to a benefit, right? That has benefited us directly and that we appreciate that goodness, right? It's about another person. They've gone out of their way or put forth effort to do it for us and we realize some kind of goodness from it. So that's the emotional experience. It's a moment of feeling grateful. And researchers study those two different kinds of gratitude in different ways. The interdependence part of it is that gratitude as an emotion also comes with a sense of reciprocity. I recognize that person as someone who I can trust and look to at another time and feel a little bit more willing to invest my own resources in or my own effort and energy in moving forward. So there's a stronger sense of this person has contributed to my welfare. And because of that, I'm more inclined or I have a greater urge to contribute to their welfare moving forward. Okay, now that is a definition for gratitude. And you could probably summon that feeling of the emotional experience. It's the door being held for you, a friend coming to your party or a phone call from a family member out of the blue. It's people extending kindness to one another and recognizing it an appreciation for someone having the awareness and energy to do something meaningful. And it's a chain reaction you feel compelled to continue. But why is that? Gratitude, like all feelings, has a connotation of being intangible. But the effects that it has on you and your life can be measured. I mean, how do you think this podcast got its name? It's not just a nice to have in our lives, it's a necessity. And as I would come to learn, gratitude is a trait that has kept our species going. We think of something like gratitude, it seems sort of relegated to spiritual or artistic domains, and it's an aspirational virtue that parents have to teach their children. Well, when researchers started to study it, number one, it is an evolved quality of human mental life. 
we emerged on many levels from a legacy of evolutionary adaptation that prepared us for social interactions and relationships and connections. Our primate predecessors also have these social structures, and a lot of the organization of them hinges on gratitude, hinges on the experience of recognizing that another can do good, that benefits us, and that we can do good in return. And that whole realm of reciprocity and moral goodness is thought to lean on this experience, this innate capacity for experiencing and for all intents and purposes, expressing and sharing gratitude with one another. People who are more grateful in that broader dispositional way are happier, right? Their lives are better. They feel better more often than a person who scores lower on a measure of gratitude. They are less likely to report being disturbed by kind of day-to-day hassles and physical discomforts. So one of the classic studies gave people a list of common pains, muscle soreness, some gastrointestinal discomfort, itchiness, just things that you might not even have any reason to be feeling. People who score higher in gratitude just report feeling them less. So they're less bothered by what's going wrong in their lives. And then there's this whole slew of physiological benefits. People who are more grateful have lower blood pressure. People who score higher on gratitude are more likely to follow advice from a healthcare provider and thus less likely to suffer worse outcomes from any kind of disease or illness prognosis. So there are these clear physiological benefits in addition to these mental benefits. Obviously, those physiological and mental processes are all sort of driven by the same body at some level. But they're all well documented in the research literature. I'm trying to think of even more because there are so many people who are higher in gratitude, recover more gracefully from traumatic background experiences. If you study and practice gratitude in advance of a difficult experience, you have a more growth and recovery oriented response to that difficult experience. You're able to manage difficulties and setbacks and failures and challenges more gracefully and in a way that allows you to learn and grow if you are someone who is more grateful. Because gratitude is so intertwined in our experience as living, breathing people, it would be impossible not to bring it with us everywhere we go. And as I'm sure you've already guessed, that includes work. The reason we talk up gratitude in the workplace is A, because there is a lot of time spent at work, and it's way better when you can at least get along with the people you work with and take some pride in what you do. And B, because when a company practices it, everything improves. Employees are more inspired, they're less stressed, they'll build more meaningful relationships, develop trust with the people they work for and with, they'll be more productive, and they'll turn into better leaders. As an employer, what else could you ask for? Gratitude is the first building block to creating a better company. But it's not second nature to everyone, something I hope turns around for their and their employees' sake. Because people want to work for companies that respect and value them, as we are learning with the Great Resignation. And it's really not that hard. It's pretty easy to start. I'll start with the first, which is what does it mean to be a grateful organization, right? How can gratitude get woven into the fabric of an organizational climate or culture? And my best answer is 
by having people articulate it more specifically and more often to one another. It sounds super simple, and maybe that's good news, right? If it was too hard, it might not feel possible. When I teach workshops on how to promote gratitude in organizations, I often lead people through just a very simple exercise I call gratitude one, two, three. And what that is, is it's a little bit of a role play or theatrical practice where you say thank you to another person in a way that is specific enough that it arouses a stronger feeling of gratitude in yourself as you're expressing it and also enhances the benevolent response that another person who you're expressing gratitude feels in that dynamic, in that experience. So what do you do? When you say thank you, you say the words thank you, but include a description of what the person did, an acknowledgement of the effort that they put in, and an explanation of how it benefited you. It sounds, as I described it, like it's a lot to remember, but it's really not if you just decide every time I say thank you, I'm going to include those three things. Why those three things? Because we know empirically when we ask people, how strong is your gratitude in response to what just happened? It's strongest when people think about what happened, like what was the experience or behavior that served them, when they know or believe that that experience came deliberately. In other words, another person did whatever they did that improved something or brought a goodness into your moment on purpose. They put intention behind it, maybe even extra effort. And there was a real measurable benefit. So by saying these three things, you're really accentuating and highlighting the experience, that emotional experience of gratitude that you feel and that you kind of arouse in the other person who you're speaking with in that moment. And so it's a really simple little way of just grassroots and also if leaders take it on and just have some discipline about making sure they're expressing gratitude in this way, can gradually create this norm of really acknowledging each other and again, sharing this warm feeling of connection and trust that emerges in those moments of shared gratitude. So the second question is, what's the benefit? Why does it help? Why do we care in workplaces and organizations? And that's not an unusual question. People often think like, oh, yeah, do gratitude at home with your family or do it with your friends. But, you know, work is just about getting things done, crossing all the tasks off your list, making sure you don't leave anything unfinished. There's no time in our personal dynamics. Well, that's just false. One of the biggest problems with workplaces is, in fact, how transactional they tend to be. When people view their effort as only having a worth in a transactional sense, in other words, I only work because I get paid for the hours that I work and I get rewarded for the accomplishments that I complete in the workplace, my motivation for that work diminishes and that becomes less interesting less meaningful and less inspiring over time. We as humans don't strive as much in situations where the reward contingency is only about some kind of material good or some resource. We actually 
require that our effort has an alignment with our core values and our sense of contribution to humanity. Like that has to be part of why we do the work that we do day in and day out. If we want to have that sustaining sense of motivation and have those moments of deep immersion in our work that we describe as flow. And gratitude is a way to just keep that alive. It keeps alive that sense that I'm doing something that serves other people, that serves core mission ideals that are part of my organization. Because number one, if I'm being thanked, I feel like my effort is worthwhile and it's making a, a measurable contribution. And if I'm thanking other people, I feel like I'm receiving support and collaboration that again, builds that sense of belonging and trust that is so important to the general success and climate of an organization. Emiliana is also the co-instructor of the Science of Happiness course at Cal Berkeley. It's an eight-week course that explores the roots of happiness and might even recalibrate a student's definition of it, like what I'm trying to do with gratitude in the series. She gave me an abridged version of what she hoped students take away from the class, which, to me, felt like as good of a note as any to end on. The first one is that happiness or emotional well-being or psychological well-being or thriving or flourishing, and I'm deliberately giving you a long list of the terms and concepts that all kind of overlap with one another in covering this space. The first is that it doesn't mean feeling good all the time, being perpetually cheerful and enthusiastic. It doesn't come from having your material needs met or being entertained or having a high capacity for consuming material goods and that it is not fixed or predetermined. So we work really hard to define happiness in a way that actually matches what we have learned about the benefits of being happier in life. So rather than thinking, well, happiness means I have to feel good all the time and every moment has to be cheerful and joyous and triumphant, Happiness is a much broader characteristic where we think back on our lives as generally feeling good. We have a sense that, that what we do matters and who we are matters. And we feel a sense of belonging and connection to others who we interact with and the communities that we work within. So happiness is much more broad and inclusive than a lot of people's assumption about what happiness is and what it means. So that's a first big aha that I think we want to make sure people understand. And then the second one is that it's not fixed. You're not born happy or unhappy. You're not born someone who will score high on a measure of well-being or low. And that's it. You're kind of just stuck with that. Rather, what we've come to understand from rigorous research is that happiness is something we can work on. It is changeable. It's malleable. There are ways that we can spend our time, we can prioritize our effort daily that will promote and enhance happiness in a sustainable way. That said, it takes effort, right? It's not a pill. It's not a quick fix. It's not one episode of your favorite podcast. 
It is a enduring practice, just like any other skill or physical activity that you want to improve upon. We do it over and over again, and that's how we realize and get to enjoy the benefits of that kind of exercise. So a lot of what we do is try to give people these specific activities that are most promising in the space of improving one's own happiness and also for, you know, contributing to the happiness of people around you. As much as I'd love it to, I accept that this podcast episode can't make you happy, but I'm grateful you're listening. There are a billion other podcasts you could have on right now, but you're here and I don't take that for granted. Even though this won't magically make you happy, hopefully it made you think of the things that do, like your friends, your family, your health, and all the other things that add up to your own culminating feeling of gratitude. Here's another little something to be grateful for. This is episode one of four. We will be back next week with a brand new episode where we talk about perhaps the next important thing after learning what gratitude is, communicating it. Measures of Gratitude is a production of Work Human. It is edited and mixed by Rob Valois and written and produced by Sarah Blisnalis and me, with additional support from Sarah Mulcahy. Special thanks to my guest, Emiliana Simon-Thomas. She'll be back later in the series, but in the meantime, you can read and watch more about the work she and her team are doing at the Greater Good Science Center at greatergood.berkeley.edu. I'm Mike Lovett. I will talk to you next week. Bye.